And so today we're going to be looking at this. 1 Peter 5, 8-14. through 14. Hope is a fighter. Hope is not passive. Hope is an active pursuit. And we have the encouragement to be humble last week. The only way that we're going to grow in our hope is if we grow in our humility. If you weren't here last week, go ahead and hop on our podcast. You can listen to that. There's something so powerful about Peter telling us that our posture matters. To be able to live a life where we get low before the Lord injects into us hope that we wouldn't have otherwise. And then he turns a corner in this last section and he's talking about fighting and resisting. And I got a question for you as we get started. Are you, are you a fighter? And, and some of you were all too eager to say, uh, yeah! But we have to ask, are you fighting the right battle? Are you fighting the right way? And in our church, I, I could go through a number of names that I, I think about situations and, and past struggles and how many of us have, have fought our way through and we're still going and we have not stopped, we have not given up, but we need to ask, are we just fighting or are we fighting the right enemy the right way? And today, Peter wants to help us with this. That we would not just fight, but we would know who we're fighting against. And we would know who we're fighting with because you are not alone in your fight. If you are a Christian, if you are with Jesus, that means you are against the enemy of your soul, Satan, and he is against you. And I don't know where you're at in this battle. I don't know if you've been passive. I don't know if you've expected God to just kind of zap the enemy and take care of business. I don't know if you're clueless and just ignorant that there's a spiritual battle. I have no idea where all of us are at and we want absolute clarity. Somebody say clarity. We want clarity from God's Word. No more confusion crystal clear and Peter doesn't mince any words in this last section. Verse 8 of chapter 5, if you have your copy of God's word open, let's start here if you're if you're taking notes, take life seriously. Take life seriously. Verse 8. Are you there with me? Say ready if you're ready. Verse 8. Be sober-minded as you're seeking humility, as you're getting low before the Lord, as you are confident in God not yourself. Here's the response. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sober-mindedness. Quick definition, sober-minded. Well, hopefully we can, we can think about clarity of the definition by what it's not. What is the opposite of being sober-minded? I am drunk-minded. I am confused and filled with chaos. Everything is fuzzy. I am off kilter. I am going through life with great perplexity instead of crystal clarity. Sober-minded. This is a call. This is a command. How do I do that? I mean, some of us might go directly to, well, if you stay away from alcohol, then maybe you could live a life that's sober-minded. He, he's not talking about any particular substance that, that makes us drunk and stupid. He's talking about any way in our minds, in our thought life, that we are not seeking to be intentional with our thoughts, that we end up down a wrong path, tripping up, failing and faltering again and again because we are living our life drunk with something. Thinking intentionally about your way of life, carefully 
thoughtfully, changing your attitude, living wisely does not come naturally. Would anybody agree? No one has ever stumbled into wisdom. I was just going along, just minding my own business and just, ah, I'm wise. Did that ever happen to anybody? I was just kind of going through the motions, doing things my way, and I just continue to make the wisest, most sober decisions. Does that ever happen? No, like it takes work to step back and be like, did I learn from the last time? What does God's Word say about that? What is God telling me to do? I hear a lot of voices, but am I listening to God's voice? I need to live a life that is so different, and it starts in the mind. Somebody say it starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. Accurate, serious approach to every aspect of your life. Not interpreting your life through the lens of, of pleasure. What, what's going to be bring me the, the greatest pleasure? What is going to bring me the greatest amount of comfort? What is going to give me what brings me happiness with the least amount of effort? Do you know what that pathway leads to every single time? Guilt and shame and regret. He's saying here, sober-minded, watchful. Your mind is thinking on truth. Your eyes are scanning. Stupid decisions mark our society. Debt and regret. Anger and anxiety. And he's saying, turn away from that. Repent. The old way needs to be rejected. Something brand new needs to be brought on. So I jotted this down. Do you really take your life seriously? Are you, are you watchful? Are you scanning the horizon looking for what is going to pounce? What's going to jump out? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Do you remember weeks ago we talked about don't be surprised when hell, fire, hot trials come your way? Why are we always caught off guard? Because we're not watchful because we're not sober-minded, because we're distracted, because we're addicted, because we are worldly instead of our minds set on things above. But watchful for what? What are we supposed to be watchful for? What does he say? Watch out for nasty, hypocritical, judgmental Christians. Is that what we're supposed to be watching out for? We're supposed to be watching out for the true enemy, the real enemy. And he's, he describes him as what? Isn't this a vivid picture? He is a, a lion. He is a roaring lion. He is an adversary, the enemy of our souls. He's called the devil. He's prowling around. What is he seeking to do? He's going to devour. I don't know if you realize this, but at this moment, the devil is hungry and he has an insatiable appetite and he's not going to quit and he's not going to stop. Are you watchful? Are you prepared? Is your mind sober, serious? We believe that we live in a world that is moral, absolutes, right and wrong. There is nothing in the realm of morality that we would say is, there's a bunch of gray areas and if you feel really strongly about it, it's true for you. That's untrue. That's demonic lies. Our minds are filled with a lot of gray when God says, there's a lot of black and white. The God that created us also told us what our purpose is, why we're here, how to live, what leads to life, and what leads to death. And we would prefer to throw our hands up and just say, to each his own, whatever people are feeling, let them do it. Let them select their path, their way. You do you. And Satan loves it. Because he's prowling around, seeking to devour. We're facing temptation 10,000 times a day. And the question is, how are you responding to the temptation that is coming at you? Well, we got a we got an image here of uh, two dudes, typical, right? As the lady watches, the guys are going going at it. Okay, 
This is an image from uh, a series, Into the Pride. And one thing they did is they watched a pride of lions and how they conducted themselves and how they interacted. They identified one dude uh, named Brutus that was uh, the, the, the head lion. And I thought this was so interesting because he, he probably didn't name it, know his name was Brutus, right? Somebody should have told him, your, your name is Brutus. Well, the, the issue is he was getting older and he was getting weaker and pretty soon another stronger lion rose up and guess what he did? He just sat back and let the older dude do whatever he wanted to, right? Wrong. He was observing and watching for the weakest of moments to make sure that he could attack and win and take over and dominate. And uh, they showed a clip where uh, pretty soon Brutus is getting up limping a little bit in his old age, all right? He's limping away, away from the pride. And at the right moment, this other guy just charges at him. Lightning speed takes him down. I don't know if bones were broken or whatever. And from that moment forward, uh, he's now in charge, right? He takes over in a flash. And I'm just thinking, how long does it take for a prowling lion to quickly subdue its enemy and take over and dominate completely? Uh, we watched the clip and it was, I don't have it on there. Do we have the clip? We don't have the clip today. Moments, just seconds, and it's over. And I don't know about you, but watching that and the imagery of Satan is alive and well and he is active and he is searching and seeking in some weeks, some months, could I even say this? For some of us, it's been years since we've even given Satan a second thought. Oh yeah, I guess there is spiritual warfare. I guess there is an enemy of my soul. I, I guess I am under attack. I don't even think about it. And Peter would say, that's because you are drunk with whatever it is you're dwelling on, meditating on, thinking about. Your gaze is not looking at the horizon for the enemy of your soul. You are distracted he says, warning, warning. Are you living soberly? Are you living seriously? Do you live watchfully? Are you living as a weakened victim from old injuries, straying from the safety of community? Are you self-medicating? Never before have we had such a society, such a culture, that instead of sober, we are fighting to make sure that everything is legalized so that we can live drunk, we can live distracted, we can live with a mind that is numbed out whatever it takes. And for some of us, it, it could be anything from alcohol to drugs. It could be legalized items of choice. I don't know what your pill intake is like. I don't know what obsession you have with electronics, but we're, we're doing a great job of training up the next generation to be drunk with technology so that they're not sober-minded we are obsessed with any entertainment and any distraction, and we are exactly where Satan wants us. And Peter says, the more things change, the more they stay the same, and it's always been like this. There has always been things that have caught our eye and filled our minds. And I don't know if this morning, if you're drunk with lust, to drunk with comparison, to drunk with envy, drunk with unforgiveness, comfort-seeking, Maybe you're drunk with rage and bitterness, discontent, revenge, envy. It doesn't have to be a substance. It could be something that takes over the heart, that fills the mind. 
And before you know it, you are out on your own, isolated, vulnerable, and weak, ready to be pounced. And can we just have a moment of honesty in God's house? Many of us have stories of this, these things keep happening to me. And why I just I must have the worst of luck. And I, I just keep seeing my life on repeat, and it's everybody else's fault, and I just can't get a break, and I don't know why I'm facing a dead end, and everybody else is kind of making some progress down the road. And I wonder, I wonder if it's because you are so distracted and your mind is so full of anything except for what is true and locked on the target of God's mission that you are an easy prey. And could we change that? Anybody in favor of changing that? As of today, I, I want to be different. I don't want to be a target. I don't want to be susceptible. I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to live a vulnerable life. And Peter would say, be sober-minded. Be serious about the short life that you have so that the regrets and the constant cycle of brokenness can finally come to an end and that God would bring life. Where Satan wants to bring death, God is the giver of life. I hope that's good news to you. Somebody say that's good news. We don't have to stay here. We don't have to live here. We don't have to be filled with anger and anxiety and depression and despair. We can be free, and it starts with your mind, and it's nobody else's problem. It's yours, and God is the helper, and God is the grace giver. God wants to change you from the inside out. That's awesome. Number two, write this down. Resist without excuse. Resist without excuse. You see it in verse 9? Resist him, firm in your faith. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The resistance of the enemy is to put the context that, that Peter's been talking about. We're not just talking about Satan generally prowling around. Does anybody remember the context? First Peter, throughout the entire book, has been all about what? It's been all about suffering and trial and darkness and temptation. And so do you believe that when he's talking about Satan on the prowl, he's talking about in light of your vulnerability when you go through hard stuff? And I don't know what you're going through. I mean, even walking in this morning, any given Sunday, even though we have the, the nice smiles on our faces when we walk in and walk out, can we just acknowledge that we are most vulnerable when we have been beaten up, when we are getting our teeth kicked in, when our expectations have not been met, when we're still dealing with old memories and reoccurring hurts, and we keep meditating on those things, all of us walk in any given Sunday filled with a whole lot of hurt. And Satan is right there waiting for the moment, hoping that you don't get strong, that you don't make progress, that you don't move forward. And he says this, resist him. How am I supposed to resist? Be firm in your faith. The enemy that you have coming at you is going to be resisted. Do you believe that God is greater than the enemy? Do you believe that we're not just doing like Star Wars, right? Everybody familiar with? We, we, have, we have the dark side. We have the force. Uh, somebody say it's not like that. Uh, regardless of what movies we've watched, there's something different that we have. The enemy of our soul is a created being that he is 
an high-level angel that Lucifer was the most beautiful, most glorious angel of light. And so we're talking about a created being. God created him. They are not co-equals. Unlike Mormons, we don't believe that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. Instead, we believe that there is a created order and there is one above all. You believe that God is supreme over all of his creation? That he can do whatever he wants with his creation? That there is no true threat to his throne? Because he has created and can subdue any of his creation at any point. He's a pit bull on a leash and a very short leash at that. And he says simply, if you're firm in your faith, if you stand firm and resist him, oppose him, don't fall asleep next to the whispers of the enemy, don't give in to his subtle enticements. Instead, you're firm, your feet are planted, you are not budging, and guess what happens? He will not prevail. You will overcome I don't know when the last time that somebody told you, truly, if you are in Christ, you're an overcomer. You are a conqueror. You are a victor. What is happening in you, no matter how scary, no matter how dark it is, no matter how much hurt and pain you've gone through, that God is the healer and God is the strength to move you past. And I, I don't know who needs to hear this again and again, but resist Him. Resist Him resist him how are you doing how are you doing at resisting and we we have this this beautiful truth you are not alone you are not alone you are not alone no matter how hard it's been no matter how alone you feel no matter how lonely you are any, anybody feeling lonely anybody this the past weeks going i feel like i'm all alone here I feel like nobody understands, nobody knows. I feel like what I'm going through is different than what other people are going through. And why would Peter say this? Because he knows this about all believers everywhere throughout history. You need to know this, he says. Know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the entire world. So who else is suffering? Every Christian. Uh, just in our modern age? No, throughout history, over the course of millennia, there have been sufferings that the church as a whole have been going through, and we are suffering together. We're in this together. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're in this together. We're in this together. We are not alone. And your God will not stop pouring His grace out. Suffering may not stop, but His goodness won't stop either. And I don't know if you, you've had this cross your mind, but thinking about when you go through hard stuff over and over and over and over, you feel like, what am I doing wrong? Why is this happening to me? What do I need to do to try to get God on my good side again? Because obviously He's really angry. I've screwed up enough that I keep getting punished. And if you are doing the right thing, and you're firm in your faith that you would hear this, that suffering is happening to all believers that choose to be righteous in God's eyes, to do the right thing. It may not be that you're doing something wrong. It may actually be that you're doing something incredibly right. A couple weeks ago, I had somebody come to me and say, Pastor John, I've been listening throughout 1 Peter, and I'm, I'm hearing what you're throwing down, right? I'm smelling what you're stepping in, and what, what has happened in my mind over time is 
that if God is really good and He's really faithful, then why is it when I fully surrendered this year that my life has gotten worse and worse, harder and harder? I thought if I said yes to Jesus and gave it all to Him, like we just sang, right? We're saying we, we surrender all. We're saying that, that Jesus is our friend forever. What kind of friend treats his friends like this? And we were able to pray together and talk through maybe you taking a stand firm in your faith has led to the enemy redoubling his efforts to destroy you at the start so that you build no momentum and you don't get down the road. And I wonder if you feel like that someday. Why is it that the more that I, I take steps forward in my faith, that the more comes against me? And Peter's like, this is the way that the church has experienced warfare throughout all of history. You are not alone in this. But you got to be firm. Do not give in. Do not back down. If you stand for Christ in a culture that has rejected Jesus, you will experience more and more hostility and persecution but know this, it leads to hope. It leads to hope. If you don't quit and you don't stop, anybody need hope? Anybody need a double dose of hope this morning? I just need more hope. I feel like I'm losing hope. And that's why we do this together. You're not alone. We need each other because we're all going through this stuff. Number three, jot this down. Trust God's grace. Trust God's grace. Verse 10. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? And after, oh no, I thought, there was, I thought we were turning a corner and there was going to be some good news. And after you have suffered a little while, you are going to suffer. But, but what does he say? A little while. Anybody feeling like this isn't a little while? Like a few years of suffering? It's been over a decade of suffering? Is that a little while? That doesn't feel little to me. Do you believe that God has a different vantage point than you do? Do you believe that his POV is slightly different than yours? His point of view is eternity past to eternity future. And all you're seeing and all you're feeling is a little tiny dot in it all. It's a little while. It's a little while. But guess who meets you in that suffering? What does Peter say? The God of a little bit of grace. Is that who shows up in your suffering? The God of a thimble of grace. And He's going to dump it all out on you. Every last drop. Is, is that the type of God that you serve? I don't know, I don't know what your view of God is like. A.W. Tozer says, your view of God is the greatest thing about you. When you think about God, that is the greatest thought that you can have in your entire life. Are your thoughts about God like this? He's the God of all. Somebody say all. All grace. And he's willing to take all of that grace and generously give it to you. What if the greatest thing that God can do is not take you out of the fire, not take you out of the suffering, but pour out abundant grace while you're still staying in the midst of the darkness? His grace is better because you get all of it. You get all of it. Every last drop. I love it. He is a God of all grace and He has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. And He Himself, what, what is God going to do? He's not saying, uh, hey Christian, get your stuff together. Here's what God is going to do. 
And he lists a few things. This is guaranteed. Anybody ready for some guaranteed promises of God? This is what God is going to do for you. This is what He will do Himself. He doesn't need your help or assistance. He will restore you. I don't, I don't know if you've woken up certain mornings and you try to get out of bed and you can't and you kind of roll out sideways and either you're like this or this or all day you're going, if I try to straighten out my head, it's going to do some damage. You try to move something, you're like, ah, ah. what do you need? I need to go see a, a chiropractor because I need an alignment. I need my body to be restored. How long does that last? Yeah, they, they got us, don't they? Right? Once you're in, you're done, right? For life. The revisit and the revisit of restoration of your spine and your joints, right? The things that you could do for free, wrestling with friends, you now have to pay a grown man to wrestle with you on a table, right? To get you realigned. Do you know what God does? God's in the business of realigning and restoring what is broken, kinked, out of sorts. And guess what is really, really good news for each one of us today? We have this in common. You are out of alignment. And so am I. Any given day, God meets you. The God of all grace meets you in a place where you are a mess. And you blew it again. And there is nothing but anxiety where there should be faith. And there's nothing but anger where there should be peace. And the God of all grace meets you there because you can't fix you. He fixes you if you go to him so what if today could be a day that you say god restore me restore my broken relationships restore my broken past restore the pain and the hurts and the abuse and the manipulation restore all the unmet expectations restore all of the chaos that has been my life to this point restore the things that are heavy on my heart and heal them bring restoration god do you pray that you pray like that? God, it's broken, and I don't have anybody to blame. I am out of sorts. I am out of alignment, but I need you to restore me, and you are the God that loves to do it. What else does he do? He doesn't just restore. He confirms. We're talking, God says, if you live this way, if you follow my instructions, he brings confirmation that when you obey and you do it, he brings blessing. Have you seen that? Where it's like, God, maybe someday. God, not right now. God, I'm kind of busy doing my thing. And then the moment that you step out by faith and start saying, God, I'm, I'm done resisting. I'm done making excuses. I'm done making it about me in the pity party. I'm ready to take a step forward in faith. And you know what God does every time? He brings confirmation. He brings blessing. His hand of favor is on those that would say yes to him. And I don't know what that's like in your life, that maybe you walked in and you're still fighting and you're still making excuses and you're still living a double life. And, and for some of us, we need to get off the fence so that we can experience God's confirmation of a life that's being lived for him. And he guarantees it. He guarantees it. Maybe not the way that you think. So if I, if I stop looking... Uh, at porn, then is God going to give me a lot of money? If I, if I stop living in secret hidden addictions, is God going to like just bring a whole bunch of happiness and take away all of the hurts? No, but He's going to bring His confirmation. He's going to bless 
where you say no to the old, no to Satan, and yes to him. How about this? What else does he say? He himself will restore. He himself will confirm. He himself will strengthen. We're talking unexplainable power. <laughs> I, I had a conversation this past week. I love, it seems like every week I get to have a front row seat to be able to hear what God is doing. Uh, pastoral ministry is insanely difficult and it's so filled with joy as there are story after story of God bringing about things that are impossible. And this past week I got another story. Another story of I, I couldn't do it myself, but I kept on trying. And I lived for years just trying to do it myself, trying to, trying to fix me, trying to fix them. And then I finally just surrendered. I released all of that to God. I trusted fully in Him. And there was power that came to overcome, to move forward, to bring hope again. How awesome is that, that we can be a church that can share stories of, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom, but God does. And if I'm looking to Him and saying, God, I'm relying 100 on You, not 50-50, not, hey, if, if, if my thing doesn't work, I'll, I'll come running to You, God. But from the start, what if we can avoid so much regret by saying, God, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have a way forward, my plans don't work, my strategies are failing. And I wonder if today could be a day where you, you just hear God say, yeah, your plans will always fail. Your strength will always fail you. Your wisdom will always fall short. Are you ready to come to me first, most, fully? He is the God of all grace that strengthens. I don't know where you need strength today, but Peter's saying he's going to bring it. He himself will do it. And lastly, what does he say? Establish. Backed by not, God, not just God's blessing to start, but establishes. Don't just do it once. Keep moving forward in God's ways. Have you ever been at a place where you've tried to justify in your mind well, God, I, I kind of tried that for a little while. It didn't work. I, I had a Christian friend tell me that I should change. And I mean, I tried that for a week. I tried it for a month. Uh, and it just, it just didn't work for me, okay? And so now I'm back to my old way. Do you know what God guarantees? God guarantees that if you fight and resist the enemy, if you humble yourself and you continue down a path of obedience, He's going to establish your life rock solid, not wet cement, rock solid foundation. And with that foundation, you can build and establish your life on that. So if today there's something in your mind where you're saying, I tried to trust God in that. I tried to give it to God. I tried to kind of do the like this holy living thing and live in purity doesn't work. I tried the sobriety thing doesn't work. I, I tried giving my finances to God. It doesn't work. I kind of tried praying at work not working. I tried praying for that broken relationship for a while, still broken. God is a God that doesn't just desire for you to toss a few prayers up. He desires a lifestyle that you can be established in utter dependence on Him. Do you believe He can build a foundation that nothing else will work? And when He builds it, nothing can fail? So who in the house has been building their house on sand and wondering why it keeps falling apart? God is our rock. He is the God of all grace and He is going to establish our lives. So even though you're facing hard stuff, I love this. There's so much 
hope when you firmly believe that even in the midst of chaos, that there's a king on the throne and that he is seeking you to call out because you don't have, because you're not asking. You're not finding because you're not seeking. And today could be the day where you say, I'm all in, 100% with God. He is my hope. He is the one that is going to build my life. And here we go. Number four, let's do this. Let's do this. Experience uncommon community. Experience uncommon community. Uncommon community, what in the world is that? Well, hopefully this will help. Uncommon community is all about living for and with one another. For and with one another. And it involves a level of interdependence. It involves a huge level of transparency that the world has no category for. Are you experiencing uncommon community? Not asking, are you occasionally showing up to church? Your butt in the seat does not give you a gold star on God's chart. When you press into community, when you are dependent on others that love Jesus, when you're linking arms and doing life together, it changes everything. When you have a group of people that are for you and they're walking with you, do you have that? Not just the occasional conversation, not just the occasional small group, but you are living a lifestyle where there are people that know you intimately, deeply, personally. Not just that you share a little bit, but that you share the whole thing, even if it's ugly and messy. That you are able to be in a community where you can humble yourself and ask for help. How do you think we're doing in our culture with that? Not so good, not so good. Uh, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to figure it out. I don't need your help. And God begs to differ. God would say we desperately need each other. What, is, what does Peter say here? He says, a few of his friends are listed. Verse 12, do you see it? By Silvanus, a faithful brother. Do you know that Peter needed a faithful brother by his side? The apostle Peter? Really? Even apostles needed partners in ministry. They needed friends. They needed brothers that were going to fight with each other and they were going to fight for each other, not against each other. I love this. Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. He's thinking about his whole letter, these whole past months. Here is the exhortation, the challenge. Here is declaring that there is grace to be found. And what does Peter say once again? Stand firm in it. Stand firm. Don't be moved. Don't be blown around. Verse 13, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, she sends you greetings. So now he's got a sister in Christ. Where is his sis living? Babylon. Is that a happy place? Is that the Disneyland of, of the ancient world? That is hell on earth. That is Vegas everywhere all the time. And there is a faithful sister that is praying for, supporting, and partnering with. And she says, I love you, church. <laughs> and she's got Peter's back. And so does Mark, my son. And again, we would say Mark is his son in the faith. He's pouring into him, mentoring him. He says this, greet one another with a kiss of love. Y'all laugh when I say that we're, we're giving holy hugs and kisses. Oh no, 
I'm just being biblical, y'all. It's just biblical. Just biblical, right? This is what we do. That there is affection and love for each other. That there is not just the, the, the stoic handshake, greetings, my brother in Christ. Wow, that's super lame. We're not a crusty church. We're an affectionate church because God calls us to be an affectionate church. Okay? So we just want to be biblical in how we treat each other. And we're family. We're family. Uncommon community. Nobody else is doing this. That's why the church is such a weird, peculiar place to be. At least it should be. And so if you walk into a church where you have a group of crusty formalities, then you should say, uh, this is not a place where I am going to be known in love, that I, am can, I can depend on people, that I can disclose. We need to be a biblical church, which means we need to be a messy church. How do we do this? How do we love each other? How do we have brothers and sisters serving together? I just love this. They're in different places doing different things, but we are the church that is caring, praying for, and concerned about each other. And he says this, greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Why does Peter and Paul and others, why do they end their entire letter with peace be to you? Why do they start it that way and end it that way often? Because almost every letter that was written in the New Testament is being sent around and it's being passed from church to church. And the one thing that every New Testament church faces is anything but peace. Everywhere that the apostles wrote letters and sent letters and started churches, it was in the midst of warfare. It was in the midst of the lion prowling and devouring. It was in the midst of suffering and opposition. And so who needs peace? We desperately need peace. Anybody watching anything on the news? I, I'm, tr I'm trying to fast from it. I'm trying to stay away from it. But it finds me. It finds me all the time. Is there, is there anything peaceful that is going viral uh, in, in the news world? Is there any news of, of peace and goodness happening? So God says that we are to be in the world, but not of it. We can't escape an utter anxious world, an utterly angry and hostile world. Every culture, every place is the same. All throughout history, the church has always been placed smack dab in the midst of darkness and chaos. And so I would ask this, are you experiencing a peace that is unexplainable? And if you are not, I would just ask, do you know the God of all grace? Do you know the God of all peace? Because if you know Him, not just know about Him, you know Him intimately. You know Him personally. He provides supernatural peace when there should be no peace in your life. Sarah and I were going through probably the, the hardest season of our life. And I can attest to the power of God's Word, the power of His Spirit to bring truth that leads to peace. We were in the midst of adopting Asher. Some of you know a little bit of the story. We brought Asher home from the hospital at three months old. It took five years to finalize the adoption. And that was just on the Caribbean side, not U.S. side. That was another two years on the U.S. side. So 
Anybody want to talk about the joys of adoption? Real fun, real fun, real efficient, real cheap, and real fast. Yeah, not so much, not so much. And there was a, a moment where we were going to be kicked off of the island, having to come back home because we were without a ministry that would host us and sponsor us. And Asher's paperwork was not done. And there was four straight weeks where the counsel that I was receiving is, well, he's not your son, and so just leave him there and you need to come home. From pastoral leadership, from mentors, from those that were trying to guide me. Talk about lack of peace. Talk about tears. Talk about spending time in the closet, on my face, with the Psalms open, soaking my Bible, going, God, I need your peace because I don't know how this is going to play out. Because losing Asher is like losing our lives. And God is rarely early, but He's always on time. And it wasn't but hours away from us having to make a decision about purchasing a, a ticket, figuring out how we're going to fly home, what we're going to do, that God opened a door and allowed us to transition into another ministry and stay for another three years, serving as a family together and it kept getting harder and harder and more difficult and darker and darker every step of the way. And I can testify, every time that I would do it myself and I would just try to figure it out myself and withdraw and isolate, there was a lion always prowling to devour and destroy. And the moment I pressed into community and pressed into prayer support, and the moment that I opened up about the hardship and the heaviness, the more that God's peace dominated my heart. Circumstances don't necessarily change, but your posture towards the God of all grace does. And I wonder, where are you this morning in proximity to the God of all grace? Have you left him behind? Is he close? Are you an open field target? vulnerable for Satan's destructive ways in your life because you've chosen to withdraw and isolate? Where are you this morning? And regardless of how you walked in, you can leave in a very different place with a very different posture in a different relationship with God.